Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. is the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Marsha Talley to the podcast today. Marsha is the Agatha and Anthony award-winning author of Done Gone and 17 previous novels featuring Marilyn Sleuth, Hannah Ives. She's an editor-author of two collaborative serial novels, Naked Came the Phoenix and I'd Kill for That. Her short stories appear in more have appeared in more than a dozen collections. Marsha is a past president of Sisters in Crime, and we're going to talk about that. And she currently serves as president of the Mid-Atlantic chapter of Mystery Writers of America. Welcome to the podcast, Marsha. Hi, it's great to be here. Well, let's start talking about writing um, and and how your journey there, because you've written a number of novels, but how did you get there? When did you first say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Oh, gosh, it was probably when I was in the eighth grade and I was obsessed with Nancy Drew and read all of those and the Hardy Boys and Judy Bolton and Sherry Ames and all of those books that came out starting around 1930 from the Stratmeyer Syndicate. Um, And I I remember writing, um, my first novel was set in a ghost town, and um, it was a direct ripoff of Nancy Drew. You know, she had charms even. (laughs) Uh, um, And I remember my uh, eighth grade English teacher said, Marsha, have you ever been to a ghost town? And I said, no. And he said, well, maybe next time you write about a ghost town, you might want to go to one first. Um, but I, I always wanted to write, um, and it, you know, life has a way of getting in the way of those things. I, I went to college. I, I, um, I became a teacher because you always need something to fall back on. Um, and it wasn't until my daughters were, um, older and pretty much on their own that I really had the the spare time and the freedom because I was still working full time. I worked full time mm-hmm. in uh, Washington DC and I commuted back and forth an hour each way. Um, so it wasn't until then that I, that I started actually writing in earnest. Um, I like to say, and this is absolutely true. There was a period of my life uh, in the early eighties when it was, it was really a soap opera and, um, there were a lot of people in my life that needed to die. They really, really needed to die. And so I, I really it was therapeutic. I started bumping them off in short stories and, um, and in my novels and um, in, in the novels that later became novels. Um, and it was very therapeutic. Um, I had no way of knowing that eventually I might get published, but um, but that's really how it started. It was it was therapy. 
And was it crime? You know, you talk about Nancy Drew and all those other wonderful series that, you know, you read uh, when you were young. Uh Was it always going to be crime novels for you or or did you ever think about other genres as well? um, My first um, attempt at a novel was in uh, the early 90s. And I was um, I had been diagnosed with breast cancer, which is a a big wake up call. Um, And I Mm -hmm. said to myself, you know, you've always wanted to be a novelist. And if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? I was looking, you know, I was facing my own mortality, you know, looking at square Mm -hmm. in the eyes. And I said, you know, it's time. So I started writing this sprawling Southern learning how to deal with it novel with a character much like myself who was recovering from breast cancer. And um, about that same time, I, I heard about a, conf- a, a writer's conference sponsored by, um, at, at the University of the South uh, at Swanee um, that ha- was just about two or three years old. Uh, when Tennessee Williams died, he left $8 million to the University of the South specifically to fund this, wow. the Swanee Writers' Conference. So it had huge monetary backing, and um, it was competitive. I, and it was the first time I ever was brave enough to take something I had written and send it to somebody to read, somebody that I wasn't related to you know, um, <laughs> who thinks they're wonderful. You know, when I bumped off the witch that married my father after my mother died, my sisters thought it was the greatest thing in the world. But uh, <laughs> not so, um, so I took the, the beginning of what later became Sing It to Her Bones. I, I, I sent it to uh, Swanee for consideration. And to my absolute astonishment, they accepted me. I, they only took like 125 people. And wow. so I went down there and I spent two wonderful weeks in the mountains just outside of Chattanooga, um, surrounded by writers. And it was the first time in my life I really felt like a writer. Um, but I, I had my one-on-one, my mentor. They assigned you a mentor. And my mentor was uh, John Casey, who um, was a uh, National Book Award winner. Um, so I had my one-on-one with John Casey, and he looked at me and he said, Marsha, when I read your first chapter, I knew I was in the hands of a born storyteller, but the rest of the novel is crap. So I said, oh, but it was a real uh, wake-up call for me. I, I, I went home, I was really energized, and about that same time, I went to a a bookstore that I frequented in West Annapolis that was called Mystery Tales. And um, they were um, sponsoring a, um, a contest for short story writers. I did not enter the contest, but while I was browsing around, I noticed a notice on, on the bulletin board that there was someone who was interested in, in starting a writer's critique group. And... Um, so I, I contacted that person, and um, we started meeting at, at the, um, the bookstore. Um, but later on, uh, not too long after that, um, and here's where I get into the Sisters in Crime part, um, I heard about Sisters in Crime and never had heard of it before. So this would have been 1994. Um, okay. 
And um, I thought, well, that sounds really interesting. So I went to a meeting, and at the time they were meeting at uh, Bish Thompson Seafood House in in uh, Bethesda. And I walked in, um, didn't know anybody, and sat down at a booth next to two other women who um, we I didn't know them either. And we, we started talking about our writing and while we're waiting for the lunch and the speakers and one of the, the one of the women at the table was, was Sujata Massey, and um, we became very good. We we started a writers' circle with with uh, Sisters in Crime members. Uh, we met um, once a month. We became very good friends, and we gave each other tough love, um, you know, tough love criticism, mm-hmm. and um, you know, really. I mean, this segues into one of the questions that that was on the list of things you sent me, which is, um, you know, what does Sisters in Crime mean to you? And that's the first thing that I would say that was so important to me about Sisters in Crime. I I attended meetings where I learned things like, you know, from lectures like um, psychics who claim to identify where bodies are hidden, to homicide cops. Uh, one of the early speakers, because Laura Lippman was a member of that that chapter back in the days when I think she only had one or two of her Tess Monaghan books out, um, uh, David Simon, who she later married, uh, and he was he just published Homicide Life on the Street. And so he came to speak to us. And we had, we had forensic experts, and it was just, it was wonderful. And... Uh, opened my eyes to a lot of things. So in addition to the, the fellowship and the writer support in, in my mm-hmm. critique group um, and the, the informative programs, um, you know, it, it really formed a strong basis for um, of support for my subsequent career as a writer. Um, I, one of the, as I said, one of the members was Sujata Massey, and a couple of years after our group had been going for a while, um, she entered her first novel in the Malice Domestic Grant Program, and it won. And uh, she mm-hmm. went on to get a a, a contract with um, for a salary man's wife from um, I think she was with Harper Collins. Um, and she said to me, Marsha, you know this novel you're writing, which later became Sing It to Her Bones. Um, she says, this is wonderful. You, you need to submit it to this contest. And I said, oh, no, I can't. Oh. She said, well, what's the worst that will happen? They'll say, yeah, it's terrible. Right. So I sent it in, completely forgot about it, because I think the deadline was December, and they didn't let people know until spring. So I'm sitting on, at you know, late at night, I think around nine o'clock at night, my husband's already gone to bed, and they call me on the phone to tell me that Singapore Bones had been selected as the Malice Domestic Grant winner, and I started screaming, screaming, and my husband thought <laughs> I was being attacked. I think he comes charging out of the bedroom with a baseball bat. He says, "What? What? What?" And I said, "I won! I won!" And he said, "Oh," and he walked away. And then he came back about two minutes later. He says, "Would you win?" <laughs> so, um, 
that was so I think if it hadn't been for the encouragement of, of um, Sujata and other members of my writer's circle, I never would have entered that contest. I won the Malice Domestic Grant. The book um, that got me the attention of a New York agent, which um, resulted in a three book deal with um, with Bantam, uh, with um, Bantam Dell. Um, to my total and utter shock. And, and, you know, I had no idea I was writing a series. I just wrote this <laughs> book. And um, so here I have this, an agent calling me and say, well, you know, um, they want three books. This is a series, isn't it? And um, I said, oh, yeah, sure, of course. Of course. <laughs> and then I had to, uh, he said, can you send me some more information? And I, you know, like titles and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll and then I spent the rest of that day calling everybody I knew, mostly sisters and crime members, saying, I'm going to come up with ideas for two more books, and I don't have any idea. So I did, and um, it, it worked out all right. But uh, very exciting times, very exciting times. Well, and you make it sound as if it's, you know, I mean, when you tell it in a condensed way, it's overnight, but it isn't. It, it took a long time of, of learning craft and, and sisters in crime. How else did you sort of hone your writing craft um, during this time? Was it mostly through sisters in crime or was it, did you take classes or get mentors? Um, I took a, a creative writing class in, in college. Um, but yeah, it was because it was required. Uh, I went to Oberlin college, um, and it was one of the things you had to have. So I took it, but I don't think I really learned any from thing from that, except that you have deadlines. Um, but, um, but you're right. It, it, it isn't overnight. I started writing this sprawling coming to deal with it novel, probably in 1984 or 1985, and because I was working full time and I had kids, two daughters and carpools and all the, and commuting to DC, you know, it was slow, slow going. Um, a Swanee Writers Conference didn't come along until 1992. So almost right. 10 years later. And then I joined Sisters in Crime in 94. Um, but one of the things that really, um, was like a light bulb going off in my head vis-a-vis mysteries. Was I, I heard about a, um, a conference in England at St. Hilda's College. Um, it had only been one year that they had done it. And I, I loved England, and I, and I thought, this is a great excuse to go over to England. So I, um, I went to St. Hilda's, and be, in, they had, the day before the conference started, they um, two authors were giving a workshop. Kate Charles and Susan Moody were giving a workshop called uh, "Making Crime Pay," but not very much. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so I I went to that workshop, and um, it, it, as I said, it was like a light bulb going off over my head. I realized what was wrong with what I was writing. Uh, why the dialogue wasn't working, um, and um, also that I was, I was definitely writing a mystery. You know, there, mm-hmm. there were going to be dead bodies in it, and um, so, and 
as I said, that was around 1990, that was 1995. Um, I won the Malice Grant in 1998, first published in 99. So here we're already many years out from that first, yeah. you know, serious effort at, at writing something uh, that maybe other people would want to read. Um, but since 1999, I've, I've done a pretty much a book a year um but you know it's a lot like work i mean it's not you know it's it, it just doesn't flow out of the end of my fingers like i suspect it does on some writers you know but it doesn't for me well i want to talk a little bit more about that because i think that that's a great thing to tell um people but let's go back to hearing you know your born storyteller <laughs> your first but the rest of the book is crap yeah for some writers now you, you had it was a um you know prestigious thing to be at that conference yeah. so that to be there sort of likely you felt like okay i'm a writer but for some people that feedback would have stopped them yeah and how it it is it's a real ego ego blow but because he said this first part is brilliant and actually that first chapter stayed in the book and it's almost unchanged but i thought about it and i I thought look he's a pro i'm not Mm -hmm. i don't know anything but he's right. Um, the first, my first chapter is pretty good, but the rest of it, it rambles. It makes so I just threw I, I threw the rest of it away. I started. I I took the part that that he said was good, and I went on from there. Um, bearing in mind the things that I had learned both there at Swanee and then later on at. Um, the St. Hilda's conference, the, the crime making pay workshop, which was really valuable. Um, I still use some of the exercises that, that they, that, uh, Kate and, uh, Susan came up with, uh, when I, um, work with you know, youth groups and, and so on. Wow. And you, we, you mentioned uh, a little while ago that, uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't always flow when you're writing. No. Um, I, I think that that's true for a lot of writers. And in these conversations I'm having with folks, uh, that definitely comes up. How, how do you inspire yourself or, or what's your writing process like? Well, I, I wish I were more, um, um, organized. Um, you know, I wish I could tell you that I get up at six o'clock every morning, make myself a cup of coffee, sit down and write until 10 o'clock and then break for lunch. I don't do that. Um, I should, but I don't, I, I need to be more organized. Um, I tend to, um, make myself sit down, but it, it, and I also tend to work best in the evenings. And I think this goes back to the time when I was working full time because the evenings would be the only time that I, the children were in bed and um, nobody would be likely to call you and interrupt the flow. And I would write, I'd start after dinner and I'd write until my eyes felt kind of heavy. Um, 
or until I ran out of steam. Um, and I still tend to do that. I'm highly motivated by deadlines, highly motivated. <laughs> My husband says that it's like when a book is due, it's like living with a woman that has a, a term paper due. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's true. I, I and, and, you know, getting back to um, writer circles just briefly, one of the values of being in a writer circle for someone like me is that it gives you deadlines. If you, if you meet once a month, um, you have to have something to send to the group. So it gives you these interim deadlines, you know, a chapter, two chapters, something like that. Um, so that's my process. Um, I, I find that um, there are some days when I'm not sure where the writing is going to go, but I just, I just write anyway. And I figure the worst that will happen is it'll be terrible and I'll, and I'll cut it out uh, or tear it up or, or whatever. But uh, I try to do something every day. Yeah. That's great advice. Um, it's it, oh, not always easy to do, but that's great advice to, to, to concentrate on it every single day. Um, what What's the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you've ever gotten? Oh, gosh. Well, I think the worst, the worst piece of advice, because I don't really think it's true in the way that most people think, is write what you know. Um, I, I think you, you can't write... Um, about things you know nothing about. But I think it's more valuable as a writer to write what you want to know about. Um, and I, I find that, um, you know, for instance, I wanted, to, um, I wanted to write a book set at a Bigfoot convention. Don't ask me why. I, I just think <laughs> I, I had read about Bigfoot and about, uh, Bigfoot conventions, and I just thought, this is hysterical. So um, I'd never been to a Bigfoot convention, but I went to a couple. And I and I attended some online because they, they tend to put up all the programs online. So I, I learned as I was writing because I became interested in the topic. Um, and I think that's true about all my books. Um, the best piece of advice I got um, was in the, uh, it was probably mid nineties. About that time, I was I was a librarian. I, I was I worked as a librarian for thirty years. Um, I was at ALA, the American Library Association meeting in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I had become friends, longtime friends, with Sarah Ann Freed, who was a uh, the late Sarah Ann Freed, who was a, a an editor's editor. She was at Mysterious Press. But when I first met her, she was at Walker Books. And uh, they had a very small booth at ALA, and we got to talking. And we became friends, and we saw each other year after year at ALA. And, but this time, so this was the 90s, and she was she was a big editor then. And um, we were riding on a bus. We were going from one program to another, one of those co- convention buses. And downtown Chicago got stuck in traffic. Was just, and we weren't going anywhere. And um, I started telling her about this book I was writing, um, and about my life, and about all these people that were, um, all the things in my life that were going wrong, and so on. And she said, "Stop right there! Just stop." She said, "Marsha, 
I'm never going to read another one of your emails or talk to you again unless you sit down, put your butt in that chair, and write that damn book. Wow. The best advice I ever got was from Sarah Ann. Put your butt down in that chair and write the damn book. And I did. Yeah. So. Well, and and was that the book that you that you won with the St. Martin's um, award for? It wasn't the St. Martin's. It was the Malice Domestic Grant. It was a, Sorry, Malice yeah, Domestic. They have this. There's a. a St. Martin's has a Malice Domestic Prize as well, but they're they're not related. Um, yeah, that yeah that it became that, and also part of book number two, which um, no book three, because I was doing um, little sketches on the side. Book three is the one where I bump off the woman that married my father after my mother died, and uh, that started back then too because she really needed to go. <laughs> My, my sisters, I have four sisters, and they all love that book. It's their fave. It's called Occasion, it's called Occasion of Revenge. Well, <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because talking to crime writers, they're generally some of the nicest people you can meet because they work it all out. <laughs> You're absolutely right, but um, I sometimes think romance writers, hmm, got to watch out for them. <laughs> so when when you're you know you write a book a year which is which is something and you know what surprised you most about the publishing journey oh gosh well when I first got published and you know and it really was um I was very very fortunate in in that that winning that grant got and I didn't have to go hunting for an agent. They started, I actually got phone calls from a couple of agents. Um, so I thought, I thought, oh, this is going to be wonderful. I'm going to be on the Today Show. I'm going to be able to, you know, buy fabulous clothes. They're going to fly me all over the country for book talks. I'm going to have a limo. No, no. <laughs> Um, I worked very, very hard on, uh, of course, being with, being with Bantam Girl was, was great because they gave me a wonderful cover. Um, it was a, it was a tra- a mass market paperback. Um, mm-hmm. um, I saw myself in, in, um, in bookstores, which was lovely. Um, I thought I'd be in airports, you know, all over the place, but no, it's not glamorous at all. Uh, at least it wasn't for me. And, um. And I'm not, I'm still not buying Chateau in the south of France. So, um, you know, I'm not a gazillionaire, but uh, so that was my first shock and surprise. But staying published for this long is a a huge feat and it's not easy to do. Um, And so... Part of the st- your story that I find interesting and that I uh, I relate to is that you went to conferences before you were published. You you know you talked to people about your work. You you were open to suggestions. So you started to network and build a community of people who cared that you were writing this book. Um, you know who who actually were in the business. This is so important. Yes, you're absolutely right and. 
and I don't, I think I just slipped into it. I, I didn't intentionally set out to do that, but because I was a librarian and, and, um, and I went uh, every year to the American Library Association conference, I, I met people, I met writers, I met um, editors. I would stop and, and chat at booths like I did with Sarah Ann when she was at, at Walker. And in fact, we laugh about it because she was all by herself. And, um, and I said, are you here by yourself? And she said, yes. And I said, do you ever get a break? And she said, well, to tell you the truth, I really need to use the restroom. So I said, I know all these authors. I know all these books that are on the table. Why don't you, you go, you know, take a break and I'll stand here for you. So I ran the, the Walker booth for about an hour. <laughs> and and uh, afterwards we met for tea or something and became very good friends. But yeah, um, and, and I think that the networking, you know, getting back to that is so important because mm-hmm. you never, uh, publishing is volatile. It, and um, mm-hmm. much more so now than it was back in the in the late nineties and the the early eight and the eighties when I was coming up. Um, and you never know what's going to happen. And the things that happened, several things happened to me that that um, made the networking incredibly important. One was um, after doing three books for Bantam Dell, um, the Publishing House, Random House, which which owned those um, those imprints, was bought out by Bertelsmann, and Bertelsmann decided that the mystery mass market paperbacks were not profitable, and mm-hmm. so they they cut the whole line. And uh, there were about and at the time, Bantam Dell was publishing about two mysteries a month, um, two for you know which is is a lot, two paperback original mysteries. Yeah. And so a lot of, of uh, people that were in my class, we the class at Random Dell, uh, we were laid off after three books. And um, I was totally blindsided, as, as was my editor at the time, because um, she, had, she had verbally uh, said that she wanted a, a fourth book and that all that went out the window. So... In 1991, I was orphaned, and um, a lot of the the dozen or so people that I'd come up with, well, maybe about half, just threw up their hands and gave up. Um, but I went to, um, I, I was very active in the Malice Domestic, and um, my agent at the time suggested I do the two serial novels, The Naked King and the Phoenix. It, you know, it was important to keep my hand, keep my name out there. And um, so I did. And, and um, those novels, each, each chapter was written by a different author. So um, published by St. Martin's. And uh, St. Martin's was very keen on getting um, New York Times bestselling authors. Um, and I didn't... I, I, my idea for Naked King the Phoenix was I'd call up all my writing friends and say, would you like to write a chapter? But um, not all of my writing friends were New York Times bestselling writers. What could I say? So I, I, it was a real push for me, and, and I did. I got um, a wonderful uh, selection of writers, um, and uh, we did those. And that did keep my name out there. But the thing that really helped was I wrote, um, short stories 
And Mm -hmm. one of the short stories um, won an Agatha Award. And um, that got me the attention of um, another publishing house. Um, Right there at the Agatha Award banquet, um, an an editor came up to me after I won the award and said, um, gave me her card, and she said, I, I think you need to talk to... Well, actually, it wasn't her card. It was a, a card of, of um, another editor at HarperCollins um, that, I, that I, I... And I ended up doing three books for HarperCollins. Um, but it was because of that connection that, that I got the second contract. It's very, very hard to move a series. Uh, almost yes. impossible to move a series, and and I don't like to to boast. Um, I don't know, toot my own horn. But Hannah's been Hannah Ives has been at three publishers. So I did. Wow! I did three books for um, Harper Collins, and then basically the same thing happened. It has happened at um, Bantam Dell. They there was a reorganization. Um, some editors were let go, um, and they determined that the mass market mystery paperback was not as profitable as the trade paperbacks. Um, and so they went in that direction for a while, and, and I wasn't part of that. Uh, so I did. So I was orphaned again. Um, anyway, so. <laughs> But eventually, my my editor, my my agent, um, got me a um, a deal with um, Severn House, which is a British mm-hmm. publisher, and we got in at a time when Severn House, which had had and still does to some extent, um, focus its marketing on libraries, uh, library library um, purchases. Um, they were trying to they were picking up. Um, American authors who were orphaned, they, they, and they, they were specifically looking for series that they could pick up on. So I was very, very fortunate that, um, mm-hmm. that I was orphaned at that time because they, they picked me up. And um, I've just, uh, Done Gone was the um, 12th book I did for them. So they've been a good home for me, and, and the and Severna House has grown over the years from, from a... Um, a publisher that uh, didn't take returns um, was hard to, if you were doing a book event, it was hard to get books into the bookstore. Um, but now they're distributed through Ingrams and, you know, it's, it's much more mainstream and I've been very happy with them. They do fabulous covers. They have a in-house art artist who just, I love my covers, so. I'm happy there. They do do beautiful covers. You know, you're right. Um, Hearing, having a series have three different publishers, I don't know of another series off the top of my head that that's um, been the case. So um, that that speaks to your, also, you know, your presence and the work that you did meeting people and keeping going with this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Can we? The networking is is important because uh, one day, I mentioned I had an agent for um, a New York agent and, and um, I don't know. I, I still don't know what happened, but he, he represented me, Julia Spencer Fleming, Don Winslow, Bill Fitzhugh, um, the, the rock group REM 
I mean, he had a, a huge portfolio, and one Friday he, he left the office and he never came back. Um, we were wow. kind of gobsmacked, as the Brits say. Um, but here I was. Um, I, I was between, between publishers, right? Yeah. I had been just orphaned by uh, HarperCollins, and um, it was a really bad time for me, and I didn't have an agent. All of a sudden, mm. didn't have an agent. And um, so, but I knew agents. I knew agents who were represented author friends of mine. I knew agents from from Malice Domestic and from the VoucherCon. Um, um, and I just sat down. I said, if, if I could have any agent in the world, who would I who would I call? So I called um, my now agent, Vicki Bajour, who represented people that I knew, Laura Lippman, um, Margaret Marin, and um, Sarah Shaver. Mm-hmm. And I said, Vicki, my agent quit, which was surprised her, too, and I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. And she said, send me your stuff, and, um, and I'll get back to you. And so I sent her my stuff. I sent her books. I sent her my proposals, and um, she she signed me up. So it never would have happened if I didn't have if I, I didn't have that network of people that surrounded me um, that I could turn to when I needed them. And the, the, what I'm hearing that I think is an important point in this is that when you're networking, it's not only immediate for immediate gain. It's it's to just get to know people and to be a human being with other people because you may meet an agent who isn't right for you but can recommend somebody else exactly. or you know or give you some support or just you know give you some advice while you're going through things. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Um, so yeah, that that's how it works. <laughs> It, it is how it works. Um, and so in 20, 2009 to 2010, you became president of Sisters in Crime. Yes. How did that come about? Well, I started, um, I, I, it was, again, it was at a Malice domestic conference, about, maybe about four years prior to that. Um, so I, we went out, I went out to dinner. Um, I, the Malice was in... Um, uh, Crystal City then, and a bunch of us went out to dinner, and one was Catherine Hall Page, who um, writes a series of mysteries, uh, award-winning mysteries set in New England that usually start the body in uh, something or other. Anyway, Catherine said, um, would you be interested in, in being secretary for Sisters in Crime? And, um, you know, I asked her what it entailed, and she said, well, you know, you get to go to these meetings, and you know, they pay your way and um, you take notes. And I thought, well, I can do that. So I started I started on the board. The secretary is a board position for Sisters in Crime. So I started, mm-hmm. um, I was secretary for two years, and then um, I fleeted up to um, uh, vice president. And I guess I, I did okay, and they made me president. And uh, was a, it was one of the biggest honors of my life. I couldn't believe it. I kept pinching myself. <laughs> and you, you uh, Kathy Pickens was 
right before you. Is that right? Yes. I t- yes, I took over for Kathy. And yes, right. And so as we're, you know, exploring Sisters in Crime at 35, what, what was going on in the organization at that time? Well, I think that the most important thing that happened during, during my tenure was that we were finally able to get tax-exempt status. And that was hugely mm-hmm. important. Um, we had, in the early days, we were, um, we were registered in Lawrence, Kansas, and um, we applied for, apparently in the early days, they applied for tax-exempt status, but um, they really didn't know how to do it. And um, the, the legal advice they got was from somebody who was not a tax attorney. So we were turned down. And in spite of the efforts of some of the early um, officers of Sisters in Crime, we were never able to get the IRS to, to um, consider us for tax-exempt status. So um, when during my time with Sisters in, uh, on the a board of Sisters in Crime, um, Kathy Pickens, who was an attorney, um, said, you know, we really need to get a pro onto this. And the worst that will happen is that, you know, it won't, it won't go forward. But it took about two years, as I recall. We had a, a, an attorney who specialized in tax-exempt status for corporations. And we discovered that the reason we didn't get the status that we wanted for because we were applying under the wrong um, category. We were trying to be as a 501c3, which is a charity, when in fact we were a 501c6, which is a business lead. So Mm -hmm. once we got that sorted out, then we could look at everything we did as an organization, um, our outreach, our our membership categories, our... Uh, publications, um, our website, our Facebook page, all of that, and um, tweak it so that it met the requirements that the IRS um, had for business leagues. And uh, lo and behold, we got our tax-exempt status, which was that I remember when the, the I was on vacation in the Bahamas when the news came down that we had been approved and I was at an outside bar and uh, got a text on my cell phone, and I was just jumping up and down and screaming. I guess yeah. I'd gone out of my mind, but it, it had been such a long road, and it was such great news because we got um, we got a lot of money. Uh, our, our membership dues are very, very low, but a lot of our money came from the um, the writer. Uh, is it the Writers Coalition? Um, yeah, Authors Coalition. Authors Coalition, yep. right. And um, that was taxable. And um, with that decision, not only did we ha- not have to pay taxes on that money anymore, but they made it retroactive. So we actually got a refund on the taxes we had paid in pr- prior years um, on the I- Authors Coalition fund. So it was just, I, I it was the best news ever. Um, so... And yeah, and also about that time, too, we were transitioning, um, and a lot of our members at the time were older and, and more resistant to automation, but we were transitioning from 
being uh, primarily paper oriented with um, paper directories, paper newsletters, um, all that kind of thing, um, and gradually getting automated. And um, we we had, I think, five or six, maybe seven different databases, uh, one for our mailing list, one for our publications, another one for something else, I can't remember, one for membership. And um, it was also during my time on the board that we, we put out a contract um, to get everything automated in, into one system and to take all of those disparate systems and load them on the one system and get rid of the duplicates. And that made a huge difference, too. Well, you know, as somebody who's working with the organization now, I'm so grateful for those efforts because, uh, you know, it was early on in some of these database and online systems lives and uh, Sisters in Crime has been able to adapt and to move and to make it work, uh, which makes it much easier to grow and to serve our members. Right, exactly. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure we still have some yeah. people who would rather have it have it mailed to them, but <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm being able to go online, for instance, um, I I still stay involved. I do the sync links every month, um, and I have a co-editor, Barbara Fister, who is a, also a librarian, and and um, we we do that every month, and it, it's just good to know that if we. If you can't find it on your computer, you can go to the website and it'll be there in the yeah. in the archive somewhere. And, and um, you can look up um, members. Um, if you want to do an event, you can find out someone's, you know, where they are and what books they've written. And yeah, I, it's just great having everything in one one place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, on behalf of Sisters in Crime, thank you for <laughs> the amount of work you've done for a long time for this organization, because yeah. it really makes a huge difference. Well, um, <laughs> and so, you know, while we're wrapping up, you know, what advice would you give to your younger self as a writer? Because as we've talked about, being published is a journey separate from writing, mm -hmm. and you can't equate your success as a writer with the publishing because it's it's you know takes twists and turns and you get orphaned and things happen um, that are not in your control. Right. So, what advice for the entire journey would you give your younger self? Oh gosh, it's such a hard question. Um, I think that you, you need to follow your dreams. You know, if you have a dream and um, try not to let life get in the way of it. I mean, it will, but um, carve out some time every day just for yourself to do something that gives you joy and not just go through your closets and throw out half the stuff, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I think that this, for me, it goes way back to one in the early 80s when I was um, undergoing chemotherapy, and I don't mean to get all sad and gloomy here, but that was 83, so I'm fine now, okay? Hi. Um, but presenting myself at a doctor's office every three weeks for something I knew was going to make me deathly sick for three days was um, really hard to do. And I, yeah. I told myself 
at that time, every day when I was feeling so rotten and maybe, you know, looking at my own mortality, that I was going to give myself something to look forward to every single day. And I did. And it could be just, you know, watching a, a movie that I enjoyed that made me laugh. Um, or it could be, you know, going out for an ice cream cone, or it could be sitting down and writing, um, you know, working on, on something that, that, uh, I was writing, um, doing an email to a friend. Um, I had a number of emails that went on and on and later became parts of books. So, um, but do something every day that gives you joy, I, I think. Mm-hmm. And if that and if yeah. writing is part of that, that's good. That's wonderful advice. Thank you for that. And uh, and thank you for being on the podcast, Marsha. Well, it's great. And if you think of anything, cut out all the bad spots. But. <laughs> we, we will. There aren't many. So um, thank you again. And thank you for all you've done for Sync over the years. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm, um, as long as I can put one foot in front of the other, you, you can count on me. <laughs> Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.